you've been around Christians, you've probably heard of the idea of having a personal relationship with God, which could mean different things in the Bible, like having God as a friend, or your father, or maybe your teacher. But there's one particular way that the Bible talks about this relationship that you find all over. But strangely, we don't talk about it that much. And that's the idea of a partnership with God. A partnership like working alongside someone to accomplish a goal together. Right. And this is actually what you see at the beginning of the Bible. God creates this good world full of all of this potential. And then God appoints these unique creatures, humans, as his partners in bringing more and more goodness out of all that potential. But the humans don't want to partner with God. They rebel and try to create a world on their own terms. And so this broken partnership is the Bible's explanation for why we're stuck in a world of corruption and injustice and the tragedy of death. It's not like there's just one or two humans who have bailed on this relationship. In the story of the Bible, everyone has abandoned the partnership with God. So what God does is select a smaller group of people out of the many. And he makes a new partnership with them called a covenant. And in a covenant, God makes promises, and then in exchange asks his partner to fulfill certain commitments. And the purpose of all of this is to somehow use this covenant relationship to renew his partnership with everybody else. Now, there are actually four times in the Old Testament that we're told God initiates a covenant relationship with Noah, Abraham, the nation of Israel, and King David. And it's through these that God is forming a covenant family into which all people will eventually be invited. The last covenant is with King David. Yeah, the tribe of Israel has become this large nation ruled by David. And God asked David and his descendants to partner with him by leading Israel in obeying the laws and doing what is right and just. And God promises that one day, one of David's sons will come and extend God's kingdom of peace and blessing over all the nations. Amen, amen. Good morning, Radiant Church. How are we doing today? Cool. Doing good? Awesome. Good to see you guys. Welcome. Um, for those who don't know, I see a couple new faces. Uh, my name is Ben, and I serve as the assistant pastor here at Radiant and up here in Ankeny. So uh, thank you for being here. That's, that's kind of what I had before. I woke up and I thought, you need to tell them, thank you for coming to church today. Um, thank you. You could be anywhere in the world right now, but you're here. Um, and by anywhere in the world, I mean your bed. But uh, you're here, and that, that counts for something. So well, well done. Way to go. I want to begin by talking about a famous theologian. His name was William Tyndale, and he lived in the 1500s, and he had a singular mission and purpose for his life. And his singular mission was this, that he, it was his goal to translate the Hebrew Bible into English vernacular, meaning common language that the common man could understand. And he was part of what was called the Protestant Reformation. Anyone ever heard of that before? You probably learned about it in school. Yes, uh, Martin Luther, the whole works. And this Protestant Re Reformation was out of response to the Catholic Church and sort of the hierarchy that they had. And William's work was in response to the idea that, that the Catholic Church was the one who could hold the Scriptures and everyone else just had to learn through the Church. And they believed that, no... Scripture should be available to everyone to hear God's word. And we would agree with that here today, I would imagine. And uh, William Tyndale was known because he was one of the first to translate the Hebrew and the Greek and the Aramaic into English. Okay. Side note, many people today who don't really understand how the Bible works, they, one of the criticisms they may, you might have heard is that the, the Bible can't be trusted because it's like a game of telephone, right? How can we trust a, one translation that's based on another translation that's based on another, right? Game of telephone. And the, the opposite is actually true. You see, all the translations we have today were actually translated 
from the original Greek in Hebrew and Aramaic. I would actually argue our translations aren't getting worse. They're actually getting better as more and more documents come to the surface. So side note on that, just a little nugget for you to chew on. But he was one of the first to translate directly from some of the original Hebrew and Greek. That's significant. He was once arguing with a Catholic opponent, and this opponent was saying, you know, we need to follow, we need to follow the Pope's laws in his way. And Tyndale is famous for saying, I will cause a boy that driveth the plow shall know more of the scriptures than thou dost, he said, okay? In other words, his mission was this, is like, even the farmer in the field who's pushing a plow is going to know more scripture than, you know, this whole thing you got going on in the Catholic Church at that time, okay? And by the way, if you ever need a mic drop, you ever want to put a punctuation on an argument, just end it with, thou dost. Solid, solid. Uh, Tyndale's work would eventually be smuggled into other countries. It would be pirated, which is hilarious. And uh, at 42 years of age, though, 42, young. Um, you're welcome, older folks, young. Um, 42 years young, he, he was executed. His life was immediately cut short. He was strangled to death, and then he was burned at the stake. What a way to have your, uh, have your life end because of your life's work. What William Tyndale didn't know is that the Bible would go on to become the top-selling book of all time. In the U.S. alone, in the U.S. alone, this is a recent statistic I found, every 10 seconds in the U.S., six Bibles are sold. Every 10 seconds, six Bibles are sold. And can you imagine if William Tyndale had, had had any sort of idea that this was going to come into fruition? He, he couldn't have. He couldn't have known the, the impact that his work was going to accomplish down the road. But the question I have for us is this. Was Tyndale's life blessed by our culture's standards? Like, would we consider his life to be one of, like, success and blessing in his life and in his work by our culture's standards? I mean, after all, like, Tyndale was Oxford-educated. He spoke eight different languages, right? Like, he should have been on, like, easy street doing good work and then, like, retired in comfort, you know what I'm saying? And so, to many in our culture, being executed by strangulation for your life's work, burned at the stake, not what we would call blessed by many of our standards. And yet, Tyndale paved the way for something greater by the life that was his sacrifice. We're going to continue on in our sermon series called Promises Made and Promises Kept. We're exploring what's called the five uh, major divine human covenants that were made in Scripture. And so here they are listed out for you, the five human covenants. And today we're going to be talking about the Davidic covenant of King David. Now, most of us have probably heard of King David before, right? Raise your hand if you heard of King David. Okay, put your hands down. Almost all of us have. King David started off as a, as a, as a shepherd boy in the pastures and tending his sheep, and one day he was delivering lunch, and he heard some behemoth bad-mouthing the people of God, and he said, uh-uh, I'm going to do something about that. Got a sling, got a stone, whipped it at him. You know the story of David and Goliath. He would be chosen as king to rule over God's people, and then he would become a mighty warrior. He would go on conquests for the Lord. And today we're going to read about the Davidic covenant found in 2 Samuel chapter 7, if you want to turn there in your Bible. 2 Samuel chapter 7. This is towards the beginning of your Bible. Um, I always encourage a physical Bible just because... um, I'm easily distracted, and my distraction box likes to take me away from what God's trying to say, not uh, bring me towards it. But that is a good resource. Open your phones, Google it. It'll be on the screens as well. 2 Samuel chapter 7. 
The context is this. Um, David is returning the Ark of the Covenant, which is where God's presence resides. He's returning the Ark of the Covenant back to God's people, and he is dancing with all of his might before the Ark of the Covenant, which is a very funny, interesting picture to think about. In fact, there's a lot of really good memes out there of people like dancing with all their might out there on TikTok. Yes, even some bright light can come out of the darkness that is TikTok. So you guys, I'm not going to show it to you. You guys got to Google it later. But he was dancing before his might. And what was he wearing? He was wearing a linen ephod, which was a priestly garment. So David is this picture of a priest and a king all kind of rolled into one. That's the context here. And so David returns the Ark of the Covenant, and he is living in this beautiful palace, this heart which is made of uh, cedar, and he says, something isn't right. It's not right that I should live in this, you know, bougie high-rise apartment, you know, palace, while, while the Ark of the Covenant, while the Lord has to dwell in tents. You see, David has always had such a heart of reverence for, the God, for God, and that's why he picked a fight with Goliath, right? And he has a heart of reverence. He says, this, this isn't right. I'm, I'm going to build a marvelous temple for God so that he can have a house to dwell in. This is a, sort of his God-honoring uh, approach. He wants to build a temple for God so that God would have a place to dwell in. And so he goes to his, his uh, homeboy, Nathan, who's the prophet. Nathan's supposed to be sort of a mouthpiece of God as a prophet. And Nathan's like, yeah, go for it. You're, you're trying to honor God? Go do it. Go build the temple, right? The only problem was is that Nathan didn't actually seek the Lord before telling David that. The only problem was God actually told David, no, no. You're not going to be the one building the temple. This is what it says, Second Samuel. This is our text for today, chapter 7, starting in verse 5. This is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought out of the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? In other words, God's like, I, I didn't actually ask you to, to build me a house. I don't, I don't need you to do that. I've, I've moved with the Israelites this whole time being. And so the answer, David, to your heartfelt desire to build me a temple, the answer, the answer is no. We see a little bit more context in the parallel passage, First Chronicles. It says this, God says to David, you are not to build a house for my name because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. You see, the person that would build the temple would need to be a person of holiness. And David had blood on his hands as a warrior. From the moment that stone left his sling, David was a warrior. And he went on to, to kill many. Even though it was for the Lord and there was missteps along the way, God says, no. It's going to be a man of peace who does that. Sorry, David. Let me ask you this. Have you ever pursued a dream or had a desire or a longing deep in your heart and you heard nothing back from God about it? Or the answer was, was seemingly a no. This is what David was experiencing here, and yet, and yet, God wouldn't just leave him hanging. This is where we see the Davidic covenant. This is where God says, 
I'm going to start making some promises to you. Uh, Verse 8. Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now, I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. Here we see the heart of the father. He says, David, I've been with you all along. I saw you when you were just a little boy fighting bears and lions. I saw you out in that, post, out in that pasture, and I took you, and I made you king. And then he makes this promise. He says, your name is going to be great. It's going to be known. People are going to know who you are, David. That's my promise to you. Let me ask you a question in 2023. Is David's name still great? Is it still known? Yeah, most of us have heard of King David before, right? Uh, In fact, uh, Pastor Jason and I, we were eating uh, some chips and salsa in a Mexican restaurant in Pleasant Hill this week. And I kid you not, over the radio or over the speakers came a, a secular song, not a worship song a secular song about King David in 2023 in a Mexican restaurant in Iowa, right? Like, what is that? That can only be explained because King David's name is still great. In other words, evidently God knows how to keep his promises, okay? Verse 11, the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. 16, he concludes, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. David's like, yo, God, I I love you. I revere you. You deserve a house. You deserve to live as large as I am right now in my palace. And God says, um, um, no, David. No, no, you're not going to build me a house. I'm going to build your house, your dynasty, your lineage forever. Your name is going to be made great, and all people are going to know who you are. What a reversal. Hear this, church. What we hear from this story is this, and this is on your worship guide if you're following along. It's this. God says no to David's dream in the present, but gives him a greater vision for the future. So God says, no, no, no. This thing you want to do right here, right now, you want to, you want to put your name on a plaque in the temple, that's, that's not going to happen, but, but I'll do you one better. I'll give you a greater vision for what's going to happen in the future. Let me put it this way. Sometimes, church, hear the, sometimes God's no is actually a greater yes. Let me say that again. You guys are still waking up. I get it. Sometimes God's no is actually a greater yes down the road, right? That is something that we need to hold on to. Not every time. This isn't formulaic, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But, but in the case of King David, he, man, the disappointment he must have felt. Man, because I've shed blood, because I was a warrior for you, God, now I don't get to do this, this desire that has been put on my heart to honor you? God says, no, you're not going to be able to do that thing, but, but I've got something greater. I've got a greater yes for you coming your way. You see, the temple would need to be built by a man of peace and by a man of rest. Solomon, David's own son, would establish it, and God would establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. But here's the thing. David would never see it. 
David would never see all that God was promising come into fruition. How could he? And yet, here we are. Um, So what was David's response, though, to his plans getting shut down? (laughs) You ever had your plans shut down by God? Uh, what was his response? Did he, did he, did he sit and, and moan and weep and pout and say, woe is me, right? Did he, you know, I think Willy Wonka with Veruca Salt, she doesn't get an Oompa Loompa, right? She's like, but I want an Oompa Loompa now, right? I love that line. I quote it all the time. I want it, I want it now. Did David do that? No, what does David do? It says in the scriptures that David sat before the Lord. He sat before the Lord. He, he entered back into relationship with him. He sat and sought his face and understanding. And this is what it says in verse 18. David says this back to God. Who am I, sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? And, and as if it were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. So three, th- three quick things, three quick responses that David has to God's greater yes. These are on your worship guides. First and foremost, God's respond, or David's response to God's greater yes was gratitude. It's gratitude. He says, it would have been enough even just to get me this far, God, but now you're promising things that will go so far beyond me. There's this sort of prayer in, in Hebrew called the Deenu prayer, and it's the idea of saying, God, it would have been enough. It's a gratitude prayer. It goes something like this. You know, God, it it would have been enough that you allow me to eat lunch today, that I don't have to have a hungry belly, that I can just have sustenance. But it would have been enough, God, that, that you would have given me food in my belly, and yet you allow me to choose which food I eat of all the varieties before me. And God, it would have been enough that you invented spices and flavor, and I get to choose which variety of lunch I have. It would have been enough to have that, but then you took it a step further, and you allow me to eat lunch with my friends and my family in relationship. It's a gratitude-type prayer that says, God, it would, have, it would have been enough, and yet you keep giving and giving and giving and lavishing and lavishing and lavishing. It would have been enough, God. Thank you for overdoing it. How many times does God overdo it in our lives? And it's a spirit of gratitude David has in response to here. He says, God, it would have been enough just that you made me king and give me all this, and yet now you are going to do more. Second response of David's to God's greater yes was worship. What a fitting response. Worship here. David says, and who is like your people, Israel? One nation on earth that God went out to redeem as people for himself. David here is marveling at, at the story of Israelites, how he brought them out of Egypt. And he, I imagine he's connecting the dots. He's realizing, oh, this promise that you gave to the Israelites, this covenant you made to them, wow, you're now grafting me into that promise. You're making a new covenant here with me. There is a, there is a story happening here that is so far beyond just me. David's worshiping. He's marveling at the story, the grand story that God is weaving here. And the third response that David has to God's greater yes was acceptance. Acceptance. David says, God, do as you promised. Go for it. I'm in. I'm down. Let's, let's do it. God, you, yeah, do as you promised. I'm along for the ride. David did not have his dream come, come true in the present. He had this God-given desire. At least it was God-honoring. And, and he, he, he was told no. 
my question for us today is, was David's life any less blessed because his dream and his desires didn't come true? David's conclusion was this in 29. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, sovereign Lord, have spoken. And with your blessing, the house of your servant will be blessed forever. In other words, David said, I'm blessed. This house is blessed. My life is good. Even though I didn't get what I wanted, even though my desires aren't coming into fruition, I'm blessed. When I think about David's response to God's no and his greater yes, if I had to summarize his response of gratitude and worship and acceptance, and one thing we learn all throughout David's life is he had a He had a serious reverence for God, like a reverence. He did not like when people messed with God. He, uh, when he sinned, he repented quickly. He had a broken heart before God because he recognized them as holy. David had reverence. And what we see all throughout Scripture, we can't miss this, especially as it relates to our life. If we want blessing in our life, we need to remember something, and that is this. Blessing comes with reverence. Blessing comes with reverence reverence for the Lord. Do a study in Scripture about this. It says the the link between fearing God and being blessed is all throughout Scripture. Blessing comes with reverence, and reverence must come with blessing. So as we think about this story for our lives, and as we did that exercise earlier, my question for you as we begin to think about how this might apply is this. um, What dreams or desires Longings in your heart do you have in this life? In other words, like, is this, for instance, is this the way you wanted your life to look? Is this the life you anticipated, you envisioned for yourself? And if not, do you still consider yourself to be blessed? Even through the disappointments and the pain and even getting told no, is your life one that you would consider to be blessed? Because the caution for all of us, especially for those who grew up here in this country, in Western society, in modern digital age, in 2023, the caution for all of us is that the ideal, the, the American ideal, the American ideal and, and version of blessing is far different than what God's version of blessing actually is. The American ideal of blessing is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's the, it's the idea in the West here is that a blessed life is one that is a successful life. And whether we hear that you know, articulated to it or not, that is baked into our culture. In our culture, the, the idea of blessing is, comes with having enough money to be comfortable. Or having enough to, to feel security, right, into retirement. Or having our kids have enough for security and comfort. The Western version of being blessed is a life that's up and to the right all the time. Growing and accumulating and more and more power, more notoriety, blessing on and on and on. That's the version of blessing that Americans have oftentimes. But is that God's version of blessing? Is that what we see in Scripture? How do we respond when we're given a no? How do we respond when our life isn't up and to the right? 
when we don't have the success that we envisioned or hoped or dreamed or the desires that we longed for in this life aren't coming true? Is our response reverence? Today, um, there's this movement happening, especially in my generation and beyond, and it's the idea of deconstruction. It's that people are deconstructing their faith and leaving the church in droves, oftentimes over frustration over what's called church hurt, um, which um, may have to do with a, a pastor who let them down or uh, a mega pastor that had a moral failing or ways in which the people hurt people, or, or oftentimes it comes from a place of hurt where people have been disillusioned. Oftentimes they're told that their life will look a certain way, that they'll you know, be married and they'll have marital bliss and they'll have X amount of kids and this and that and other, that God wants that for their life. But, but then when it doesn't end up happening, when they're actually not blessed financially and they're actually struggling working multiple jobs or they're dealing with singleness in their life, there's a there's this sense of disillusionment and disappointment. So what do they do? They, they walk away from the faith and walk away from the church. It's a, it's a terrifying phenomenon that's happening right now with my generation and beyond. And it breaks my heart. And that disillusionment that comes from that disappointment is real. And I'm not here to, to minimize that. I'm not here to brush that under the rug. A lot of that is valid and it's real. But can I tell you something? What I've observed as I'm talking with many, many peers and many people who are dealing with this, the doubts, the frustrations towards God, can I tell, the thing that breaks my heart is that their response usually isn't more reverence, it's less. When the frustrations of life come their way, the disappointments, the God, where are you? My generation, it, it leans away from reverence. It, it, it leads into frustration towards God. Frustration towards his bride, the church. And please hear me, there is, there is room to be frustrated towards God, with God. There is room for doubt. There is room for all of that. I'm not here to minimize that journey. What I am saying is that at the end of the day, will you choose reverence, though? Because the opposite is irreverence, disbelief, unbelief. And you've got to be aware of that. There is an end result of that journey that you're on. Is it leading you back towards God or is it leading you into Secular, moral relativity, just the oblivion, nihilistic version of, of what many people think this life is all about. To do what makes you feel good, do what makes you feel right in this moment in 2023. You have to understand something. Is it leading you more towards the reverence and glory and honoring God or is it leading you away from that? That's just a question we need to ask, we need to answer. David's response when life wasn't going his way, when he didn't get his desire, was that he sat before the Lord. He said, God, I'm going I'm to sit with you in relationship. I'm going to seek your face. And I'm going to press in. Even when I feel like I want to pull back, maybe. He saw understanding from the Lord rather than just pushing him away. And David was considered blessed. David was considered blessed even though he had taken life in war. He was considered blessed even though he would go on to fail in adultery and murder with Bathsheba. David was considered blessed even though he would rely on his own strength and his own men with severe consequences. And he was considered blessed even though his own sons would try to usurp his throne. 
What I think we need to understand for each of us here today in this room and beyond is this, that one thing David seemingly understood was this, that the blessed life is when we can humbly accept God's vision for our lives within the broader story of his kingdom. The blessed life is when we can say, God, not my will, but yours be done. God, I I don't exactly know why you didn't say yes to that thing, but I am willing to humbly, even painfully accept your greater vision for my life because it's a part of a bigger story. You're telling a bigger story. This is a death to self-importance and a death blow to individualism, which is permeating our culture here and today. We get that, right? Everything screams, you know, make your own, build your brand, do you, all of, this is a death blow to self-importance. It's saying, no, you're a part of a bigger picture. And it's okay if your life doesn't turn out the way that you think it should have or wanted to see it because if you allow him to, God will use it for something beyond yourself. Bigger than yourself. Is that what you deeply desire in your heart? So for today, my question is, what desires, what hopes today might you need to surrender to the Lord, even if they're God-honoring? If you're here today and and this life that you're living is not the way that you wanted it to go, would you be willing to bring those disappointments to the Lord in honesty? Would you be willing to sit before him and say, God, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I'm frustrated. But here I am. I'm here. I'm pressing in rather than pulling away. At the end of the day, are you able to pray and honestly pray, God, not my will, but yours be done? Are we able to meet God's no? with gratitude, worship, and acceptance like David did, with reverence. For us here today, one question is this, would it be enough, would it be enough to just know that God is going to use you for something that you, would, you might never see in this life? You might never see come into fruition. Would that be enough for you? Thomas Fuller, a theologian, um, didn't invent this quote, but he's famous for it. He wrote, He that plants trees loves others beside himself. Irving Jensen summarizes this passage well when it comes to King David. Jensen writes, David wanted to build a temple for God, but Solomon was given the privilege. Undoubtedly, the character of David's life work for God was fighting, not building. But even by this fighting, he was clearing the way for another to lay the foundation of that house of worship which his heart had so fondly desired to build. In other words, David's earthly rule would pave the way for a priestly king who would reign forever. David's earthly rule, his sacrifice, his warring and his trying to accomplish stuff for God, it it would pave the way for his son Solomon, a man of peace and rest, so that he could build the temple to honor God. And because of David, a, a new David would one day come, a David who would, who would not have all the imperfections and all the sin that David endured, but rather it would be a, a new David that would also be a, a priest and also be a king 
He would be the Messiah. He would be King Jesus. And Isaiah 9, 7 writes this, prophesies about this man who would come. It says, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. What we see in David's life and what we see all throughout Scripture, oftentimes in Scripture, is that we see when when there is a disciple of Christ, a disciple of God, what we see is that their, their life oftentimes doesn't go up and to the right in a blaze of glory. But it, their life almost ends anticlimactically. Their life gets poured out, and they end up having to sacrifice for something so far beyond themselves. Think about Moses, this man who led God's people through the wilderness. Moses never got to enter the promised land. Think about Mary, the mother of Jesus, right? Mary was called blessed and she was called highly favored and yet she had to watch her own son die on a cross. And she would never get to see him again in the flesh after the ascension. Paul, the apostle, wrote many, many letters. Some of the most famous ones he wrote in a cold dungeon. And at the end of his life, he was writing, longing to see his friends and longing to get a cloak to warm his body, and he would eventually be executed. Anticlimactic, right? Many of the disciples would go on to endure the same fate. Even, even William Tyndale, right? This, this man who dedicated his life to translating the Bible into English, his life would, would fizzle out by being strangled and being burned and executed. And yet, what we see is that in each of these lives, when their lives appear to be fizzling out, what's actually happening is that the seed of their life is being planted in the ground. And that seed has to die so that something new can branch out of that seed. And that fruit can be born out of that for the kingdom of God, that it would outlast their lives, that something was being built that would go beyond themselves, that even when their lives weren't up and to the right, when their lives seemed to end in disappointment, God would take that seed and he would use it to pave the way for future generations, for the kingdom, for all time, and for all people. So my question for us today is, are you willing to let God do that with your life? Do you want that? I do. Whew. That God might use me in a, in a tiny way here in in Ankeny, Iowa, some small way from a, from a small stage to do something beyond myself, oh Lord, if you would do that, I, that's it. Yeah, I say yes to that. What about you? You say yes to that? I hope you do. I hope you do. I hope you say, God, I don't, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter if my desires don't come into fruition. It doesn't matter if I don't get the longings of my heart here in this life right now. God, if, if I need to be that seed that's planted and must die in the ground so that you can do something beyond me, God, I, my answer is yes. I say, okay, let's go. Let's go. Because that's what matters most in this life. That we live beyond our lives. With each one of those people who live their lives for God, their lives are blessed because their blessing goes beyond just themselves. Sometimes God's no is actually 
a greater yes. And even if that yes is simply having relationship with Jesus. Even if God doesn't formulaically have all your desires come true, even though the the yes may not look how you want it to, the promise is Jesus. That at the end of the age, we get him. And is that enough for you? I hope it is. And so my question for us, Radiant Church, you know, real practically as we, as we close is this, how are you sowing seeds into the next generation? Maybe for some of you, you just feel the call of the Lord to, to press in and to, to give and disciple the next generation in one way or the other. Maybe it's by mentoring kids in public schools through Kids Hope. Maybe it's by serving uh, the kids and kids ministry and beyond or serving the youth ministry on, on Wednesday night. Maybe it's by contributing and fulfilling your, your pledges to the REACH initiative, which is all about blessing our community and getting outside of the walls of just our church and just this thing we do on Sunday morning. Right now we're building a daycare, hoping that kids will come in and they'll hear about Jesus from people who love Jesus. And, and your, your giving to that initiative is an investment not in you, your household, and not in your retirement, but it's, but it's an investment in, in kingdom work that goes beyond yourself. And so whatever that looks like for you, it may not be any of those things, but whatever it looks like, how is God calling you to, to sacrifice now for something that's gonna go beyond yourself? And would you be willing to invite God to give you a bigger vision for what he might do with your life here and now today? Would you be open to that? in reverence? Would you sit at his feet and say, God, I don't understand why life hasn't turned out the way it has, but if you want to still do something through me, through these short 80 years I have on this planet, if you still want to do something through me, yes, my answer is yes. I'm in. I'm down. As we wrap up and we take into account this story, we realize that David was a warrior for God, and because of it, he didn't get what he desired. But he was given a promise that a greater David would come. A king who would be powerful enough to usher in a kingdom, and a priest who would be holy enough to atone for all sin. And upon that rock, the rock of King Jesus, a new kind of temple, God himself would be the temple. And a new Eden, a new heaven, and a new earth would spring forth one day. A garden city, a place prepared as an inheritance for God's family would one day come. That was the promise given to David. And David said, yeah, that'll do. That's enough. Amen. I hope your answer is the same. Hope your answer to God is say, yeah, amen. Let's go. Let's pray.